The strategist cowboy. From a couple of weeks ago up to and including Friday before Christmas, I am reviewing only Yule beers, whereof several of them are American beers. But not so today, because the, the one single beer that I reviewed this week is an English ale called Old Winter Ale from Fuller's with sales start from November 2020. An Old Winter Ale costs nearly 28 Swedish kronas or about 3 US dollars and 30 cents. It is a low low price for an ale considering that the bottle contains half a liter. The beer has got a 5.3% ABV. It's got a what for IBU bitterness. I could get no information from Fuller's website on that. But it is fairly bitter according to Systembolaget's colored circle on their website. The beer contains water, malted barley, hops and yeast I could read on the bottle. I didn't find much information about the contents in this ale on Fuller's website, except for the malt and hops types. I only spotted the flavors that this beer had. But I like to find the flavors out for myself and don't want to be fed nonsensical flavors. I might sometimes miss some flavors or misinterpret a flavor, but it is better to do that than than to add non-existing flavors in the description of the beer's taste. For you American listeners, this ale was not recommended to go with poultry by Sustainable The hops are all British of the sorts Target, Challenger and North Down. The malt is crystal malt from who knows where really possibly from the Munich vicinity. The beer is bottled in a nice dark tube-like bottle with a stubby neck and with the sentence from the Griffin Brewery and a wavy ribbon decorating the bottle embossed on the glass bottle. The bottle is sized 50 centiliters, i.e. about 17 liquid ounces bottle. The winter lager is said by Sustainable to best be served at 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperature. How about the experience then? That went kind of silent, silent. Good aroma.
nice aroma it's got about two fingers head two fingers tall head and the color is uh, oh I like the color on this one it's uh, golden almost brownish uh, uh, amber like uh, dark kind of dark pretty dark but I can see my fingers nearly uh, I, I can see them through the glass yes I can it's a good taste on this one it tastes like a It's bitter, it's rich. Uh, it's dark. It's on a, a, a Christmas ale, a, a Yule ale, so no surprise there. What is the taste? Almost like um, syrup. Is it bread like? I don't think so. But the syrup taste is uh, not um, very distinctive, but it's there. Uh, it blended in the beer. Or honey-like, perhaps. Both of them. Is it yeasty? It's a very very smooth foam head on it it's uh, creamy in, in its cons in, in its constitution taste of my palate very good beer but what taste on my palate I don't know. <clears throat> it's kind of um, sweet and bitter at the same time. A little creamy. Kind of creamy, yes. Very much so. But it's not candy like. There is some fruitiness in it, like um, uh, orange peel, citrus, uh, cit uh, orange peels. Yes, it, it is. And it's uh, 
a little bit spicy. I don't know what kind of spices, but uh, it's a little bit spicy. The undertone is... Uh, well, it's, a little bit ginger the carbonation level it's kind of normal and it, it is creamy it's very good it's not acidic and uh, mm. there are no aberrations So, uh, the aftertaste, uh, one moment, just a lovely creamy aftertaste. And I think this is one of the best beer I've ever drunk. I, at least the best uh, Yule beer I ever drunk. I think it's a... Uh, Terrific, I couldn't drink it all year around. I like the dark taste on it. And so, uh, what about grading then? How many devils do I give this beer? It's gonna be a 9 or a 10. I... Um, for a Yule beer, I graded 10 devils out of 10 possible. For an ale, just any ale, uh, I graded uh, 9 devils out of 10 possible. And that's a very good uh, uh, grading. Okay, absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underage or pregnant. And by the way, the aftertaste is kind of bitterness. Bitterness in the aftertaste. So thank you. This week's lesson is a strategic lesson. The Strait of Hormuz. Fact evidence. In late October 2018, Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu visited Oman under friendly terms. Not long after, following this, Trump said that Saudi Arabia is on the clock. Unfortunately, I can no longer find the source to the Saudi Arabia is on the clock statement, but I distinctly remember it word for word. Very interesting, but I don't expect that Oman will cave into Israel. Israelis cannot project the necessary power in the Strait of Hormuz region to be able to do that. If a man will cave in, 
They will do it because the guy in the background is putting pressure on the country. I am, of course, talking about Trump. And speaking about Saudi Arabia, the United States is starting to export more goods than they receive oil in the other direction. The amount of oil the US received from Saudi Arabia in 2018 is down one-third since 2015, while the exports to the country stays the same. So you probably have to look for the explanation there. The US has no interest in sustaining the state of Saudi Arabia if they don't get to import their oil. The numbers one-third comes from the CIA World Factbook 2015, compared with the numbers in the CIA World Factbook 2018 to 2019. The Strait of Hormuz is 21 nautical miles, 24 miles or 39 kilometers, in width, at its narrowest place. In 2011, an average of 14 tankers per day passed out of the Persian Gulf through the strait, carrying 17 million barrels of crude oil. That is 35% of the world's seaborne oil shipments and 20% of the oil traded worldwide. Some say 40% of all oil traded worldwide. More than 85% of this oil goes to Asian countries, with Japan, India, South Korea and China the biggest buyers. Iran has repeatedly threatened to close the Strait of Hormuz throughout the years. This doesn't mean that Saudi Arabia will become a target militarily. It is much more likely that Iran will become a target. But I think we can expect that the US will strive to put pressure on especially the Saudis to not cut back anymore on the oil sales to the US and preferably increase the oil sales quota to the US. They hope to accomplish this by projecting more power against the Iranians and by dwarfing the Chinese influence in the nearby region and hopefully in the Arabian Sea and the Indian Ocean. They attempt all of this nowadays with the projection of military power rather than with conventions, national aid and business agreements which previous political administrations may have relied on more. This dwarfing of the Chinese Navy in the Gulf of Oman can be done by confining the Chinese Navy within the South China Sea. As long as America has the ability to project power at sea more than China has, the US can decide the rules of the game. But the difference between the strength of the American Navy and the Chinese Navy, on the other hand, is more than anything revolving around America's aircraft carrier groups superiority in number and capacity that dwarf the Chinese number and capacity. China has an air base at Gwadar in western Pakistan, nearby the Gulf of Oman. 
if China can continue on with the construction of new air bases in foreign countries in and around the region, then America's superiority with their aircraft carrier groups will be leveled out in actual capacity compared to the Chinese. But the US Air Force currently has air bases in several Arab countries on the west coast of the Persian Gulf opposite Iran. Should Iran allow China to construct air bases in their country, then the Chinese could place these air bases wisely, meaning more optimal for defense of Iranian oil installations and self-defense than the Americans can do and have done. As a bonus, the Chinese air bases would be more suitable for attacks against to Iran possibly hostile oil nations in the north and west of the Persian Gulf. The Royal Navy seized an Iranian oil tanker, Grace One, on July 4, 2019. As retaliation, the Iranians have at present date, July 2019, well, present and present, but hijacked several oil tankers over the past month. One was Swedish-owned, but flagged a British piece of cloth, since it was registered in Britain, as so many ships are. It is interesting that the Royal Navy's initial hijacking of the Iranian oil tanker took place near Gibraltar Strait and not at the Strait of Hormuz or in the Persian Gulf. It is equally interesting that the British says that they suspected, quote-unquote, that the Iranian oil tanker was carrying crew to Syria and that is what and that is why it had to be seized by the British, and also that the British seized the tanker in the name of the EU. What about Brexit now? This smells warmongering. According to shipping data, data Grace One sailed to the Mediterranean around Africa maybe to avoid the, for such a large supertanker, unloading and refilling of its oil at the Suez Canal, which would have meant exposing their cargo to potential seizure, seizure by Egypt. Or, it sailed to the Mediterranean from Venezuela, and if so, it sailed around Africa and passed through the Suez Canal to avoid the British gazing eyes at Gibraltar Straits. Either the cargo was oil from Iran, or the cargo was oil from Venezuela. But one of the two options must be true. And it is also interesting that the British hijacking took place on America's Independence Day. A coincidence? No. That is how the big boys talk to each other when they want to deliver a message. 364 to 1 is the odds if you want to contest that. 
Many years ago, Britain was the leading nation in state-sponsored piracy. And they still are. Royal Navy still has a protocol for boarding other nations' civilian ships. It is not an easy thing to board a ship with a hostile crew on board. 1. Trump said that Saudi Arabia is on the clock. Can you think of any scenarios if the Saudis don't comply with America? What will happen in the region, you think? 2. Do you think that in the long run Iran will gain influence or that they will lose influence should the US threaten with war and then abstain from realizing it? And if Iran gain influence, will there be a war? Will there be a war if Iran dwindle in power and there is a real threat of a serious upheaval in Iran? 3. For the overambitious, how do you think that China, if possible, will try to profit from these different scenarios, given the tense situation in the South China Sea? Pick one scenario that you think is the most realistic and suggest China's politics. Saudis don't comply. Saudis don't comply and Iran gain influence in the region. Saudis don't comply and Iran lose influence because of US war rattling. Saudis don't comply while civil unrest in Iran. In a later strategic lesson, I will give you strong circumstantial evidence for that the Trump administration really were looking to start a war with Iran in the next four years, from September 2020, except Trump lost the election. This is what Iran knows, and they also know it is because of oil, but they think it is because the US wants to steal their oil, and that is not necessarily so. They lack the China cornerstone for understanding the US motive. EU, EU is like Inspector Clouseau, a clumsy backwards French detective in the dark that sometimes may solve a puzzle by chance. Only Britain and Israel and the Arab Gulf states are initiated, and perhaps Australia. But I told the Swedish military headquarters what is going on recently. When you know what is going on, you can actually follow the news and really understand what they are talking about in Israeli right-wing media and why they are talking about it. So stay tuned. Thank you and see you later, alligator. Oh, thank you.